Welcome to the Alliance Live podcast, spotlighting emerging issues, examples of good practice and innovation taking place within health and social care in Scotland. Good morning, Nicola, and lovely to have you here on Alliance Live this morning. How are you? I'm, I'm delighted to be with you this morning, Irene. I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm getting used to working from home. Um, I don't miss the travel, actually, but of course I'm, I miss the people um, and, and like everybody very worried about the current situation um, COVID-19 and, and the impact on, on particular impact on patients with with chronic diseases it's it's really a, a humanitarian crisis. So you're, you're joining us today from Vienna how, how are things in Austria at the moment Nicola? Actually um, they started the lockdown relatively early about a month ago and of course we've had the the challenges that every country has uh, but currently the cases are at around 4000 sorry 14000 just over 14000 and we've had sadly around 384 deaths across austria but they flattened the curve and we got news from the chancellor over the weekend that some of the measures will actually be lifted slowly, very cautiously. Some small shops opened yesterday, but they'll still be really rigorous about this um, physical distancing, two metres. And they're very, very strict on imposing that across, uh, certainly across Vienna. Um, so we'll see how things evolve. Uh, but the chancellor was also very clear that um, if if evidence shows that actually things are worsening then the restrictions will be put back in place so it's not a given but fingers crossed so nicola obviously you're advising the european patient forum and and you used to be chief executive and we had a long and fruitful uh, collaboration uh, as part of uh, being members the alliance being members of the European Patient Organisation. So, how are you? Uh, how are you able to keep connected? And what are the the big things that um, organisations representing people with long term conditions across Europe are raising? So, um, sure. I mean, the first thing that we did when the crisis emerged was was really talk to our members to look at what their needs specifically were. And one was, of course, the access to quality, reliable, state-of-the-art information. So we've set up um, a COVID-19 resource point on our website, and we're actually supported by a renowned academic who's based in Belgium, uh, Professor Jean-Michel Donnier, who's also working with the European Medicines Agency, so we can be confident that what we're providing is, is really evidence-based. Um, we're doing a lot of advocacy work, a lot of communications with the EU institutions. We wrote to the Commissioner for Health, uh, Stella Krikiadis, um, a couple of weeks ago, really pointing out the particular vulnerability of patients with chronic diseases, the big issues for us, including issues like shortages, supply, the diversion of attention, medical attention from some of our needs to the COVID-19 crisis and some of the profound implications that has for patients across Europe. The real importance of EU cooperation, we've been talking about this for many, many years now, citizens want more EU 
EU cooperation and I think the COVID-19 crisis has demonstrated how really critical that is and also our unstinting support for what the Commission is trying to do, the coordination efforts that the Commission is trying to put in place, really, really important and our readiness to engage because we feel that with our community we have a lot of unique expertise coming from patients who understand some of the challenges of living with a chronic condition. We've also done an open memo actually to industry, um, basically to look for reassurance to our members that industry will continue their commitment and we're hoping to publish their responses actually a little later on today. Essentially we're looking for assurances about supply chains, reliable solid supply chains, the availability and affordability of new vaccines, diagnostics, treatments, um, clear information about any changes, inevitable changes that will happen with regard to clinical trials, and also their continued support on the ground. Obviously, industry is providing a lot of support to, to communities, to patient organisations, to local medical facilities and so on. So we're hoping to get some, some solid responses there. And a lot of other things on the advocacy front really getting across the point that effective strategies are needed for patients with chronic diseases in this issue this should not absolutely not be left behind so, so one of the things that organizations like EPF and the Alliance have been saying for a long time Nicola is that disease is no respecter of borders absolutely. and of course in, in the run-up to Brexit we were very keen that we would be able to maintain networks and it seems that to all of us research and development is just now more important than ever and particularly important to patients and sometimes we think these are high level strategic things but actually they're about you know the vaccines about the antiviral drugs about um, you know how we can actually deal with crises like COVID-19 on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, we believe that patients need to be literally on the cutting edge of all of this actually and just in terms of, of the collaboration of course the cross-border collaboration is absolutely critical. EPF actually um, changed its constitution at our AGM last year um, to enable us to focus not only on the European Union but the wider Europe and really work more effectively with our neighbouring countries and that of course has enabled us to continue our, our really cherished relationship with members like the Alliance and also National Voices in the UK, um, in England and Wales following Brexit because that's very, very important to us. And we're doing a lot of work um, across the board, initiated by the European Patient Academy on Therapeutic Innovation, but also looking more widely at meaningful patient engagement in health research, in, in relation to, to therapeutic innovation, but also in the context of, of health systems design, health systems strengthening as well. And that will be part and parcel of our, our new strategic plan moving forward. And you will have heard that, of course, Scotland now uh, has its own UPATI uh, 
uh, network and so we're really delighted about that and that gives us that opportunity in the post-Brexit environment to continue to be looking at the needs um, across Europe and, and particularly in things like rare diseases where we need that sort of mass of people to do the proper research and development around it. So being tapped into that is it's, it's a huge bonus for us and we're really pleased about it. And yeah, we will yeah. have a launch event and hopefully you'll, you'll be able to come to that later in the year. That would be absolutely lovely. No, we're really pleased with the way that you, Patty, has, has evolved and gone from, from strength to strength. And um, obviously, the, it was a, um, a five-year EU-funded programme until the beginning of 2017. And then EPF supported it during a bridging phase, maintaining the spirit of a, a public-private partnership. But hopefully later this year, it will actually become an independent foundation based in the Netherlands, with continued support and leadership from EPF, but it was important that it became, it becomes an independent entity and then it can apply for funding, get resources and move forward. And the networks and the national platforms will continue to be a critical part of Upati. Um, and, and really it's just amazing to see how, how far it's gone now. The multilingual toolbox is, is actually being used um, I think th the last count was just over 3 million users. Wow. Um, and we're hoping to get it launched in four additional languages in addition to the nine languages that it's already available in. And actually only today we launched a specific piece on vaccines. So the actual content is being developed as well. So a lot of exciting things are happening. And I think for, for patients themselves and people with um, long-term conditions, the antivirals and the vaccines are just so important and that's what they want more information around. Um, are these some of the conversations that you're having with the European institutions? Absolutely. We've been doing quite a lot of focused work on vaccines over the last two to three years. And in fact, we encourage the European Parliament to launch a pilot project on vaccines, really specifically looking at the needs of patients with chronic diseases and their access and the particular vulnerabilities also, um, but also collaboration between patients and healthcare professionals and the kind of conversations and dialogue that is needed to build confidence and trust in vaccines. Um, so all of that work is actually happening now and we're also hoping to get some, some really useful resources out there for patients. And we've done some important work, I think, in Central and Eastern Europe on this topic. We held a couple of seminars, specifically in Romania, to get a really good idea and insight on, on some of the needs in different regions of, the Euro of Europe to make sure that the information is, is very targeted. And do you feel enough work is going in just now to the antiviral drugs, which could be a bit of a game changer, uh, Nicola? I, I think that there's a lot of effort and energy going into this arena. What's really important is that, that there's not too much diversion from the fundamental issues that need to be moved forward for patients with chronic diseases in the context of COVID-19. And um, I think our voice needs to be very, very long, very, very strong and, and very assertive in all of this. So, I mean, we hear from the World Health Organization about the importance of testing. Um, is that something that your member organizations want to see happening in countries across Europe? 
Clearly, testing is part of the strategy. Uh, it's part of the strategy to address COVID-19. There's been a lot of controversy, controversy I think, about um, the availability of um, valid and, 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 and rigorous testing equipment. Um, I think that's been solved in certain countries and, and still remains a problem in others, but clearly that's going to go some way towards actually resolving this crisis in the long term. I mean, we hear some uh, good results from Germany, and I guess part of this will be about how do we share the learning moving forward? You know, how do we know what works well and make sure that we all learn from it? And Absolutely. I guess that's what EPF and UPATI are about. Definitely, no. I think this whole crisis um, has provided a, a, a really great opportunity for learning and, and thinking about doing things differently across the board. Um, EPF is looking at that ourselves as an organisation, but much more broadly as a health ecosystem. I think you know the, the power and potential of collaboration, cooperation is really there. The shared learnings in terms of good practice. You mentioned the rare diseases community. So much can, can be pushed forward with commitment and support in a pan-European context. And I think WHO also at regional level is, is really doing a, a really phenomenal job in, in trying to move things forward under very, very difficult circumstances. And do you feel the European institutions, the, the Commission and the Parliament, do you feel they're listening at the moment? Are they engaging with organisations like EPF? Nicola? They are, they are. We have a very good and, and very dynamic relationship with the Commission and also with the European Parliament. The interest group on equitable access to healthcare across Europe will actually be re relaunched online, we hope, at the end of May, and we'll be issuing a statement with them through the Patient Access Partnership, looking again the importance of, of access and, and tackling some of the fundamental health inequalities across Europe, which will only be exacerbated through the crisis. So I think we have um, a lot of, 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 of officials, of, of leaders within the institutions really listening to EPF, I mean, the EPS fine, but really the needs of our members on the ground really need to come through so that the responses are, are adequate. And of course, the, you know, I'm going back to, to collaboration once again. I can't stress enough how important that is. I mean, like uh, the Alliance EPF is a member organisation network, so we are very dependent on hearing the views of people with lived experience of chronic diseases. And... Um, it's so important in times like this that um, we are able to continue talking. So that digital platform um, is, is uh, very helpful to all of us, I think, in ensuring that these discussions going forward, particularly on inequalities and access, just cannot stop. I mean, they're more important than ever now. Absolutely. And as part of EPF's strategic plan moving forward, and this was also echoed in, in the um, European Parliament election manifesto that we did last year, we'll be homing in specifically on health inequalities and looking at um, how to actually implement the sustainable development goals, specific sustainable development goal on health, uh, goal number three, and the target on universal health coverage. How do we actually make that happen by 2030 here in Europe? Because it isn't, um, it isn't universal yet and we need to really focus on that too. 
I think that public health and prevention agenda is something that we really must know. I mean, organisations like ourselves have been talking about this for a long time. Um, and in Scotland, we have the new Public Health Scotland. But I think really the focus now more than ever is that we live in a global world and, and connecting into sustainable development goals and that wider global agenda is just so important. Sure, it is. And an EPF course, our focus is um, patient-centred, people-centred chronic disease management. But of course, you know, the whole primary prevention piece, other organisations are driving that forward. And we're trying to support that through the lens of patients. And our work on vaccines, our work on, on nutrition, I think it's a good illustration of that. Well, thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us today. Um, I think people are very interested to know what's happening in other countries and with organisations like EPF. So um, thank you for taking the time uh, to join us today. It's been a pleasure, Irene. Really great to talk to you and, and good luck with the continued important work that the Alliance is taking forward. You can find the Alliance Live podcast on all major podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. Alliance Live also produce webinars, video interviews and case studies. Watch these by visiting www.alliance-scotland.org.uk forward slash live. To follow along regularly with Alliance Live content, use the hashtag Alliance Live on Twitter.